Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. It's a weird Thursday. I feel like there should be an NBA game tonight. They should be playing every other day, right? Get it done, get out of the bubble. But uh, they're not. They're going to play on Friday. Game 5, the potential closeout game for the Lakers. We do have NFL football tonight, and that might be why Game 5 is on Friday. (laughs) Uh, The NBA ratings are way down, and competing with the NFL is not helping. No one really wants to compete with the NFL. What are you doing? And it's a good game tonight. No, I take that back. On paper, it's a good matchup. I'm not 100% convinced it's going to be a good game. It's Tampa Bay and it's Chicago. Now they're both three and one. And the Bucks, I have more faith in than the Bears. But I will say, Brady does seem at this point in his career to be still good, but prone to the kind of mistake, pick six, that he really didn't have early in his career. If you were watching last weekend, he threw a pick six against the Chargers, not his first, because if you were watching, he threw one against the Saints in the opener. And he just had a look on his face. And I'm like, I, and we're all, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this. And I think many of us are. I don't, I don't know. We all are. It's probably somebody out there who isn't. But many of us are guilty of, is Brady done, right? Is Brady all done? And then you see that look in his face. And you think, Brady wonders if he's all done. Why does he make these mistakes? This didn't used to happen to me. I don't have the arm strength to throw the ball all the way to the far sideline without it getting picked off and run back. Now, he rallied, he got fired up, and I do think underrated in that game. And watch this in this game. Is Mike Evans on the field? Is Evans healthy? Because I think he, he changes the game big time. And he's got the stats. If you pay close attention, you know about him. But if you didn't pay close attention, the Bucks weren't on TV enough, so you didn't know about him. But he's good. He was legit. And he's not legit because he has Brady. He was legit before. And Brady knew when he went there, he's going to have a big-time receiver in Evans. And I thought in that game last weekend that when Evans hurt his ankle and left, the Bucks offense started to stall. He's a game-changer for him. He changes the way defenses have to defend him. He's the rare guy. Now, give him time. But a lot of wide receivers get really good, and then they just turn into divas. Drama queens, it's a circus. Sometimes a fairly harmless, but still unnecessary distraction. I'm looking at you, Jerry Rice and Chad Ochocinco. Jerry could be a diva. He was awesome. But he could be a diva and he could be a distraction. And, you know, Chad Ochocinco changed his name. And then you get to the more serious, you know, Randy Moss. Yeah, I take plays off. So what? Okay, Chad Ochocinco and Jerry Rice are looking at you going, yeah, I could get a little cranky. I could be a little high strung. What's wrong with you taking plays off? You know, and then you can put T.O. in there and and uh, now you can put Brown in there. Right. Antonio Brown. You know, it, it just, you, there, there's different flavors and levels of of diva at different levels of. Uh, well, you get to the point where it just seems crazy. It just seems crazy. And Evans is none of that, but he's got all the impact on the game. I think he has a major impact on the game. So. Chicago's got a good defense. I don't know that we trust their offense. We'll have to see. Maybe Foles will get them rolling here a little bit. Um, but that's a good game. Both teams are three and one. Uh, both teams, you know, in, in if it's it's for, it's pretty forgiving now in the NFL playoffs. Seven playoff teams out of the NFC. So that's a pretty good target for the Bucks. 
and the uh, and the Bears to hit, and the Bucks win if they just don't turn the ball over. Don't turn it over, and you'll find a way. All right, that's coming up tonight. Coming up next, we're going to talk some college football. David Nixon on the way to talk Cougars. Riley Jensen, our college in- insider, talking Utes and Cougars and quarterback play, both with the decision to make up at the U and where he thinks that is going, and the decision to make at the Y, apparently, Mel Kuyper saying the Cougars have the fifth best NFL draft prospect at quarterback. What will Zach Wilson do? We'll talk with Riley about that coming up. David Nixon next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and time to talk Cougar football with David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former Cougar linebacker. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Hey, good morning. How's it going? Good. So, you know, the thing about doing sports talk radio is you can you you have to be good at building storylines in your head, right? You have to find something. There's got to be a there there. And it's easy when BYU's playing the opener with Navy. You know, it's a chance to see the team. It's a good time slot. How good are they? And then the second game, it's like, well, was that first game a fluke? Or are they going to do that again? And then the third game is like, Louisiana Tech could be the best team they played. So now here comes Texas-San Antonio. BYU's 3-0. and They are outscoring opponents by an average of 41 points a game. I got nothing for you. I think BYU's just going to steamroll through this game. I got. Can you give us something, or you got nothing either? BYU's going to win well, this thing by however many Kalani wants to win it by. Yeah, well, you're not the only one that thinks they're going to steamroll. Vegas has them at a, I think they're now like 34, 35 point uh, favorite in this one. I, I think the storyline going to this is is can BYU stay on this path of where they're going out and dominating the competition that they should dominate, uh, and and can they defend that number fifteen national ranking? Uh, because at this point, when you're in down top 15, you definitely need to style points in order to stay above teams that are maybe knocking off or, or, or have upsets against uh, higher-ranked teams. And so um, I think that's the thing with this BYU team. Yeah, they should win, definitely. Now the question is, can they win very convincingly uh, and, and go out there and have almost a flawless performance? Uh, so that, I think that's, the, that's what this is focused on right now. Of course, Klein, UTSA has a chance to come and bite you, and uh, you know they can come out here and beat you. But I think – you look at UTSA. This is this is definitely one of the weaker opponents. Their record says otherwise. They're three and one. Um, but you know, you look at the games they played. They barely eked out victories and double overtimes and uh, beat a barely beat a, a bad Middle T C State team. So um, yeah, it's no secret. BYU should win. Win this one pretty handily. But how do they do it? That's a big question mark. Can you, can they go out there and dominate like they've done the first three games? I think that's what uh, you know. All the national writers, as well as all BYU fans, want them to see them do: go out there and, and play good, solid football. And, and I think we saw that. We've seen that. Although Louisiana Tech, they had some penalties, uh, which which was something they hadn't done the first few games, and so that's something you can clean up on. But other than that, that game against Louisiana Tech was man, it was pretty much flawless. So, 
if you look at the level of competition and then you combine it with the BYU football team, which has a lot of experience. I mean, they were set up coming into this season. I don't know what their record would have been, but they were set up to have a fair amount of success based on the fact of the talent combined with experience. Put yourself back in your college day and maybe even in your NFL day. How much better were you as a player after year three compared to when you first got in the program? I'm telling you, it's it's night and day. I mean, I remember my freshman year. Uh, there's some injuries, so I just ended up starting my freshman year. And I came to that game. It was like bullets flying. I I, I remember just the the, the pace of play because practice is one thing, uh, but then you get out there on the field and you're going to get live action and get to the team. It's it's completely different. Uh, and and then of course sophomore year, it started to slow down a little bit uh, when I came back up my mission. But then junior and senior year, when you become that upperclassman, you've now had you know two years underneath your belt. You're more mature. You understand the game a little bit more as well. It starts to click. Uh, but more than that, you've now seen a lot of reps. And so you, you understand opposing offenses. Uh, that's when it starts to slow down. And I think that's the progression you're starting to see with this team. Uh, not only Zach Wilson, which, which is obviously uh, pretty evident with them completing almost 85% of his passes. Uh, but more, the, you look at Gunnar Romney, a kid who has started since a freshman year. He understands zone coverages. He understands where to sit in the pocket. Uh, and, and try to make himself open for Zach. Uh, he understands cover two and, and where that window will be between the corner and the safety. And so all these things uh, start to click as you get older and older uh, and you've seen opposing defenses. And, and now when you're game planning, it all makes sense. I think that was a big thing for me as well when I jumped to the NFL was, um, you know, NFL defense become more and more complex. Now, I remember the same thing. My rookie year, it was, uh, you know, my head was spinning once again, trying to learn these new defenses. But then as I got into my second and third year, it all starts to click on why safeties are rolling down and you start to understand the whole defense as a whole. And I think that's what you're seeing from this team. A lot of these kids were thrust into starting situations as freshmen and sophomores. They were just a really young team these last few years. And, and I think I've mentioned this last few weeks, and it showed on the field, right? I mean, you, we had, you had some bad losses because you didn't have the maturity and the understanding of the game and, and how to go out there and compete and, and uh, pull out you know, victories. Uh, but now these guys are older. And, yes, I get that the, the competition's less, right? You're, you're not playing the Washington's, USC's of the world. Um, but, you know, what I like to see from them or what I have seen from them is the fact they go out there and, and they're executing well. They're making – Zach Wilson's making the right reads. Uh, he's spinning the ball in, in, in tight windows. But uh, at the same time, putting the ball in where the receiver can go and get it. And, and defensively, uh, they're executing well. You, you look at the linebackers, D-line, the, the secondary – uh, that game against Louisiana Tech defensively, although they gave it the most points they've given up all season, uh, mainly one because of that big screenplay out to their running back, uh, Smoke. Uh, but other than that, that, that defense was flying around, making plays, uh, putting the edge on the defense, uh, just wreaking havoc. And it was, it was fun to watch everybody. And that's what's kind of been these first three, three games. It's been an all-around performance by offense, defense, and special teams. So it's been, it's been fun to watch. So we spent a lot of time talking about the offense because – that's what we do. So let's talk a little bit more about the defense because Louisiana Tech was, um, you know, they'd scored enough points even though I didn't think they were going to win the game. I thought they'd be able to score. You know, maybe they could get 20, 24 points, something like that. Were you surprised that after Smoke broke that big play that they didn't score again until garbage time? You know, I was a little bit, although when you look at that play, I mean, there were just some bad angles uh, and, and really bad tackling. A couple guys literally just tried to throw their bodies in front of them to trip them up, um, and uh, he just came out and, and, and kept running. So 
I, I looked at that play and said, well, we can't really move the ball well against the defense besides that big play. So I was, I was cautiously optimistic. And then sure enough, they, I think they, they huddled up on the sideline and probably got ripped into by the coaches. Uh, but then they, they decided to go out there and continue to play ball. And listen, you give it, we give a lot of credit to these players, but this, this coaching staff on the offensive the defense side of the ball, they deserve just as much credit. I mean, the, the game plans they're putting together and um, the development of the players that we're seeing I mean, it, a lot of that is coaching as well. So it's, it's kind of an all-around effort. But I love watching this defense. I love going back and watching the film because the guys are in the right gaps, in the right positions, uh, and they're going out there and winning their one-on-one battles. And, and that's the thing with defense. You know, when you're trying to get off the block, um, you know, can you go up there and force it and then make the tackle? Akeem Peely, an example, a middle linebacker, he came up against Louisiana Tech, beat the tackle. The tight end came to try and chip him. He beat the tight end, and then he was there to assist on a tackle for loss. And so – it's just it's just great football play by these this defense uh, and and once again it's a lot of guys doing their job and and um, you know going out there and, and win their battles so it's it's funny and of course once again when you have Kyra's tongue in the middle that's just swallowing up blocks and wreaking havoc it, it helps that whole defense around them and you're seeing everyone kind of be the benefactor of of Kyra's this massive human right there in the middle. So from the BYU perspective, this is a great question to have to answer. But as you watch this football team, who are you more impressed with then, the defense or the offense? Uh, I'd say the offense, only because I feel the defense has been pretty steady the last few years. But I think offensively, uh, you know, Zach goes 24-26 this game. And and it wasn't like he was just checking down the whole game, right? It wasn't like he was just throwing five-yard outs and and seven-yard, eight-yard curls. He was stretching the ball down the field and had some had, had some lasers to uh, to Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne and uh, Carter Weed on a touchdown. I mean, he was putting them in tight windows and and just delivering them on a rope. And I think that's the the most encouraging thing. I think that's why Zach's getting a lot of praise is because people realize that he was coming off an injury. He was he hasn't been healthy the last few years, uh, and now he had a chance to rehab his injury. And now he's going out there and man, he's got that arm strength. I, that's. A couple of those throws were from the far hash to the opposite numbers, uh, and it was just it was on a rope, and and it's so tough to defend against that because when you see a quarterback roll the other way, you figure that now half the field is taken away, but when you got a guy like Zach that can then turn around and deliver the ball back across the field as a defensive guy, it's so tough to defend, and uh, he's got his receivers that understand that at any given time they can be thrown to and so they, they keep the play alive they're still working hard to get open and uh, you know Dax Mill in the, in the last game he had a deep play on the first drive uh, there was a, a, probably like a 30 yard comeback and it was a prime example of uh, just keeping the play alive and, and Dax delivered the ball right there on the sideline that Dax kind of toe touched on the on the sideline and, and got in but um, I don't know I, I'd say I'd say probably I, I love defense of course I'm a defensive guy but offensively they've, they've been impressive and and like I said, a lot of it's because of Zach. So uh, this week, Kalani Sataki came out and really uh, was talking to – he was talking in the media, but he was talking to his players about not getting the big head, not buying all the hype. How big a concern is that in your mind? I think it's a big concern. I mean, listen, this day and age is so tough, right? All these kids are on Twitter. They're all on Instagram. There's, and there's, there's so much talk out there right now. It's tough to – to not buy into it, or at least not read it, right? I mean, the, you can read it and buy into it. There are two different things, I think. Um, but I, I think this team, going back to what we talked about earlier, I think the fact that you've got so much leadership and now older kids, more mature kids, uh, I think 
uh, it doesn't affect him as much as maybe it would have a couple of years ago. Uh, I think this team realized, and, and you hear all the sound bites from the players, right? I mean, they're saying the right things, of course, uh, that we haven't done anything yet. We got to prove ourselves. Troy Warren mentioned that yesterday. I think Zach did as well. Um, that we've got to go out there and keep proving ourselves week in week out. So they're saying the right things. Now the question is, do they believe it or not? I think they do. I, I think they realize. I tell you what, if, if COVID, if there's any positive out of COVID, is that these kids. I think you're taking each game one by one, and they're not taking anything for granted. I think I think they truly do feel fortunate. They see games getting canceled all around them, and and they say to themselves, "Listen, this is one more opportunity for us to get out and play." You know, and so I think uh, as a result, I don't think they go into a game just kind of lackadaisical and, and just say, "Hey, we're going to steamroll these guys and let's be out by the fourth quarter." I think these guys understand that you know, tomorrow something could blow up with COVID, and next thing you know, you don't have the rest of the season. You're done with your season, so they're trying to take every opportunity to take advantage of it. Um, and it's, it's, I, I think that you can stay grounded, but listen, at the end of the day, you've got, you've got your parents, you've got friends, you've got the media. I mean, everyone's talking about it. Uh, but then, it, then you can kind of flip that and decide, okay, now we got to go defend it. So, so now we've got to live up to the hype and, and prove all those guys right. Uh, and so it's another way to kind of spin it as a team and, and try to stay motivated. How about this? Can I argue that, well, there's a lot of talk and you're getting a lot of love, and you could tell Kalani he just doesn't want to answer it, and I don't blame him because he's deflecting all those questions. He really won't bite on any question that leads him down that road. But can I argue that, well, we're getting a little bit of the same old argument, and you've been a part of it, I'm sure. Well, really, just how good BYU is. And it's gone back to the freaking 70s and obviously 84, and, and you were on some great teams, and and I can remember Mike Bellotti were in the Vegas Bowl. I'm not sure if you were on that team or not, but he's be, he was trashing BYU before the game, and then they kicked their butts, and he's trashing them after the game. So- I, was, I was on that team. I remember, I remember those those comments, but that was definitely bulletin board material. We had yeah, yeah, I'm listening to him before because I'm down there covering the team. I worked for the newspaper then, and, and he says it before. All right, I've heard that story. But then he says it afterward. <laughs> you guys beat him like 38-8 to eight or something. Just really just ran him off the field. And so can it work to the advantage of, hey, man, we're good and we're getting a lot of love, but still it's a bunch of yeah buts. So can that work to their advantage to make sure that they have the height and intensity and they don't have any of these forms of letdowns? Because so many people are waiting just to pop BYU's balloon. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think so. And, and I think something else you throw in that mix, uh, DJ or, or PK, is, is the fact that they're trying to make this – you know, New Year's Day Bowl, right? The New Year's NY6, New Year's Eve 6 bowl games. And so uh, having that understanding and being able to push that with the team and say, listen, the only way we make this is we got to be the highest rated G5, essentially, right? You, you, you've got to keep winning. You've got to hope that Cincinnati loses at this point. UCF took care of their own, them themselves this past uh, week. Uh, but uh, you've you got to take care of, of, of ourselves. And, and the way by doing that is going out there and winning and winning big because that's what the national writers will then kind of keep – climbing up in these poles. And so I think there's definitely motivation there uh, because, once again, they're not playing for a conference title. They're playing for the ranking. They're playing for a big-time bowl in the season. And so I think that's something that Kalani can, can continue to kind of hit home with them. But um, I'm with you. That's one thing. I mean, BYU, it's always, uh, you know, it, it doesn't help being on the West Coast because a lot of time in prior seasons, you know, BYU plays late games and the East Coast Riders and, and – uh, uh, you know, voters don't don't get a chance to see BYU play, and so they're at somewhat of a disadvantage. Um, but on top of that, this year, I mean, they've played at prime time. They've, they're now getting the love and attention that they should. Are they worth a 15 ranking in the country? 
I mean, I, I, they look great, obviously. It's against pretty lesser talent, but, uh, you know, it's, this whole season's crazy as it is. But uh, I'm excited to see them that high. I, I think this is a team that definitely has the ability to run the table at this point, uh, no question. And it'll be fun to have them have hard tests against Boise State and San Diego State and even Houston, depending on what Houston team, you know, we see here in the next few weeks. So, um, you know, it's, it's also one of those things where, hey, as BYU fans, I talked about this on, our, on the show last week, right? We've been through some tough times in these last few years with some rough losses. And so I think BYU fans are just loving the fact that finally this team is, is playing up to their potential and, and uh, you know, going out there and taking care of business. So I think all BYU fans are just kind of relishing this and enjoying the ride so far because we've been through those, you know, highs of beating USC and then moving to Toledo and USF. And so uh, I think we're all cautiously optimistic. And there's still like three open weeks out there in November and December. What are the odds? Have you heard anything about Tom Homo maybe adding more games? Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely on the calendar. I think he's still working some, some games. I, we've heard that there are some teams that want to play him, play us, and, uh, and he's kind of pumping the brakes, hoping to get better games. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think, once again, with this COVID thing, things change week to week. And so, you know, to say that a P5 has to, has to cancel a game and they still want to get a game in just to play football, uh, and it doesn't work out to reschedule that one matchup, and then so they have an open week there in November, December. So, um, you know, I think Tom's smart to keep him open and try to try to get some larger names. And then as the season progresses, if things aren't falling in place, and you go scoop up some of these other names that um, have been have been kind of knocking on the door. So, I, I think it's the right approach. Uh, you know, who just who just who knows if if you can fill those games with a P five down the road. And I think he understands that he's got to have that strength of schedule as well to be able to bolster his opportunities to. To get to a uh, you know the the big the big game so near six games so um, we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens but I think he's trying the problem now is that if you use the win you're going to probably have some teams like an army that's like ah, I think we might pass this year <laughs> we're we're good we'll, we'll let that postponement uh, we'll delay that till later but uh, yeah I think there'll be some other teams like the Boise State frankly I think the Boise State news was a result of Boise State saying listen we want to make a run to near six. We need to have a BYU. If we beat BYU, then that you know obviously helps our our case. And so I think it's a you know mutually beneficial type relationship there, where uh, both schools look at it as an opportunity to to help them kind of propel them to that that next level. So um, yeah, and the same thing with San Diego State. So we'll see with scheduling. I, I think he's still working on it. I think he still wants to get to a twelve game schedule. It'll just be interesting to see who those last two teams are that fill in those slots. If you had a son on this team, how disappointed would you be that you couldn't see your boy play in person? It's extremely, extremely disappointed. Mainly because you look at, uh, you know, for a kid that plays for four years, you have six home games a year, you have 24 games over your entire kid's college career. And especially being a, a, a parent now, and my kids are still really young, but I, I look at, uh, you know, all these parents and think of all the time they took with all these practices and and, you know, help him grow up and, and take him to games. And, I mean, just everything that goes into it to all of a sudden get to one of the highest levels of college and you can't be in the state to watch him. And I just – I don't know. I, you would think that there would be some way to let the parents in at least. I mean, we're talking – there's 100 kids on the team, so you're talking 200 people. You can't – tell me you, you can't space out 200 people in that 64,000-seat uh, stadium. I just – I don't know. I don't know how much I buy it. But uh, I, I think at this point, this is my personal opinion, I think at this point uh, the government is called a shot, the state. I, I think it's more just trying to make a point than it is truly w- looking out for the health and safety. I mean, I, 
I think we could easily fit in a couple hundred people, if not a thousand or two thousand people, very, very safely. I mean, I go to my kids' soccer games, and, and there's parents everywhere, right? There's more than 200 people at all these soccer games spread out between three or four fields. So I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. I, I think it's, it's, it's tough for these, these families. And you, you've seen in recent weeks people starting to, to voice their frustrations, and I don't blame them one bit um, because I think it can be done safely. And, and like I said, at least just let the parents in. Get, get each kid two tickets, and you can kind of decide what to do with those two tickets. Hopefully they go to the parents, obviously. But um, – you know, we'll see. I, I think the plan hopefully is this week, obviously no fans has, has been announced, but, you know, there's obviously talks about trying to get fans in the next upcoming weeks uh, when we build your returns after Houston. So we'll see how that all plays out, but it's, it's a bummer in the meantime, no question. Okay, David. Now, I've known you for a long time. The only reason I will accept the soccer is because he's not or they're not old enough <laughs> to play tackle football. True statement. I got six and a four-year-old. So the four-year-old's playing soccer, <laughs> six-year-old's playing flag football, but uh, – yeah, well, you know, I, this is a dilemma I have. I didn't, I didn't start playing tackle football in Texas uh, until I was seventh grade. Um, granted, Pee Wee football still wasn't huge early on there, but I've still got to figure out that that dilemma of, of when to play, uh, when to play my kids, whether it's early on or or whether I wait till a little bit later when they're a little more developed. It's it's something I keep going back and forth. With that being said, I think the game and the helmets and all the safety equipment, I think it's all getting better every year. So. Uh, I'll probably lean towards a little earlier, but uh, you're yeah. su- you're such an athlete. What'd you play up until seventh grade? Uh, I played five football. I mean, I played basketball throughout baseball. Um, you played and then football. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the football void, it was it was five football. We played five football, which is crazy. I think that seventh grade's kind of old, right? Uh, but we didn't. It was just crazy because in Texas we didn't have we didn't have pee wee football. You had to drive like thirty minutes to go play pee wee football, which is still wild to think. Because here in Utah, I, go, I drive by the park and there's like. There's kids that are, I don't know, I think eight years old or something, eight, eight or nine out there hitting each other, and uh, it's pretty wild. But um, I, I will find a way. Oh, it's a debate I have to have with my wife, and we'll, have, we'll find a way to get him in there early. David, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it as always. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, guys. There's David Nixon, former BYU linebacker, former NFL guy. Coming up next, the former Aggie quarterback, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us right now. He's on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprinter coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Riley, good morning. Good morning, man. How? Listen, I, I, don't, I don't really talk about music a lot, but Van Halen, that, that one got me. That one got me a little bit. Eddie Van Halen is gone? Yeah, I know. Come on, man. I agree. Oh, man. I totally agree. I totally agree, man. I totally agree 100%. Absolutely. Why is Eddie Van Halen gone? He shouldn't be gone. He's 65 years old, man. He shouldn't be freaking gone. I know. I know. But like, I, you know, I guess I guess I just got to deal with it. I got to deal with it. But, man, there's so much good music, so many good memories. I mean, if you grew up in the 80s, like Van Halen, yeah. even if yeah. you, 
Right. Even if you didn't want him to be part of your life, he was part of your <laughs> life. <laughs> is that is that because uh, David Lee Roth, or is that because of Valerie Bertinelli? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, right? Hagar, Sammy Hagar. I mean, there's 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 a lot of different things, but man, it was it was grow to grow up in the '80s. Like, I feel bad for my kids. They didn't get to grow up in the '80s. The '80s are like. Man, it was cool. It was cool. It was fun. We know that, Riley, we can tell somebody had a crush on Valerie Vertinelli by uh, bringing her up. (laughs) A hundred percent. One hundred percent celebrity crush. And I have a uh, roommate from college I'm still friends with who broke out his junior high yearbook and... In the uh, alphabet under the letter B, there she was, Valerie Bertinelli. Went, Valerie Bertinelli went to his junior high. Wow, wow, that's you, classic. You're like you're like two stages of Kevin Bacon on that one. I mean, you're not you're not even you're <laughs> six. Not even six, right? <laughs> and DJ too. DJ's he actually knows who my roommate was. He's spoken to him many times. Wow. Yeah, so, so I'm like two and a half. So yeah. I, two and a half stages. One my roommate. I haven't like seen three. I haven't seen the junior high uh, yearbook. So I'm two and I a half. I saw it. Yeah. yeah, I saw it. Now I'm three. Yep. Because I'm friends with you guys. I mean, nice. I, dude, this is awesome. I can't even believe how great I feel right now. Thanks for picking me up this morning, guys. Yeah. This is a big pickup. I was a little down when she married Eddie. I figured, well, the dream dies here. <laughs> Him and uh, what's her face, or her and what's her face? I think he had a crush on Marsha and the Brady Bunch too. Yeah, that was that was earlier. Those were the yeah, that, was, that was junior high. Yeah, in reruns, Marsha's way older than me. <laughs> Which, by the way, Peter Peter lives around the corner from me. Did you know that? Uh, in an odd, this is odd. I have now met three of the six Brady kids. <laughs> That is so awesome. Can I claim second level? No, I got to take that back. I have met two, interviewed a third. PK met him, but I didn't meet Greg in person. Oh, I got Greg's phone number. Nice. (laughs) I'll have him over for dinner when that's, uh, you know, allowed again. You are a bragger, PK. You're the biggest bragger I know. Yeah. Talk about a humble brag right there. Like, wow, I mean, I have his phone number. Humble brag. I talked to him on the phone. Yeah. You are a hashtag humble bragger. That's who you are. <laughs> Cindy Brady, Susan Olson, was in studio when I was doing the morning show before PK over at thirteen twenty. But before I met you, actually, too, Riley, and uh, she and she was she was a great interview. She was awesome. She she was telling stories, cracking us up. It, she was great. So and so Damn. was Greg. Greg was great too. He was a very good interview. Yep. Okay, let's Peter, get let's get down to Peter the. Peter lives in Mill Creek. All right, nice. Well, the three of us will go for a hike sometime. It'll be great. <laughs> Head up the canyon. All right, so let's get right to it uh, eventually. I can't. We just spent like four minutes on Eddie Van Halen and the Bradys. <laughs> great. Um, so 
I'm curious what the storyline is for this week, because we could come up with a storyline that was uh, interesting slash semi-interesting for BYU for each of the first three games. But this one, any way you slice it, I just don't see drama. I don't see a story. I see BYU winning by exactly as many points as Kalani thinks they should win by. If he thinks they should win by 28, it'll be 28. If he wants to win by 42, he leaves the starters in, they throw the ball down the field, and they try to win by 42. I think the important part for this game is not to get injured. I, I, I want to see, I want to see BYU go through this season the way that it should go through this season, which is winning all of these games until they get to Boise State, San Diego State, and then a potential bowl game. You need to keep these guys healthy. I, I'll tell you this: it's been really, really fun for me to watch Zach Wilson take that step forward that I think everybody was hoping was going to happen last year. His arm strength is back. His accuracy is back. He's got some moxie to him. Um, You can just see the confidence in the way he's throwing the ball. And the way that I can tell if a quarterback's throwing the ball confident is if I watch him and I don't watch where the ball's going. I just watch his body language as he's throwing the ball. You can almost always tell whether it's where there was a read that he knew was was that he was confident in or not. He's throwing the ball so confidently right now. And I know everybody's going, well, it's 83% against nobody. Are you going to try and throw 83% against nobody? I mean, it's not that easy to do what he's doing right now. And it's an extremely high level. He's mixing in some really, really – impressive throws, back shoulder throws that are down the field. Um, he's just really put in a lot of work. And it's for me, it's been really fun to watch. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit connected to him through Mountain West Elite. I'm not his main quarterback coach or anything like that, but I know him, I know the family, and I know that he loves football. And so for me to see that evolve is really, really fun personally. A year from now, is he playing in the NFL? Uh He's playing in the NFL. I, I think the decision will be up to him whether he's going to the NFL after this year or next year. But he, there's no question he's an NFL quarterback. And and depending on how it goes this year, and depending on the feedback he gets, I mean, who could blame him for, for taking that step? Because he just really – I mean, when you watch him play, you're like, this guy's a quarterback. Like, this guy was supposed to play quarterback. So, the defensive side of the ball, is BYU's defense, I and mean, we've been pumping up the offense, is BYU's defense as good as their offense? Has it been a product of uh, the teams that they have played? You know, Navy's an option team. Uh, they've just lost their star quarterback. It's the first game. They switch between two guys. How much of it is circumstances, and how much of it is this BYU defense is complete? D-line, linebacker, secondary. I think they're all playing really, really well. It's hard for me to make a judgment because they're they haven't been tested. They really haven't been tested. Uh, you know, we haven't had a team that can come in and block them and actually throw the ball downfield. So we can't get a good look at the the defensive backs. We haven't had a team that really comes in and tries to pound the rock. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Navy would have liked to have done that, but they just didn't they didn't have the firepower. Nor did they have the practices that would have allowed them to do some of those intricate details of their offense. So they just haven't been tested yet. But I will say this. I mean, when I'm watching when I'm watching this defense play and just new guys are coming in and getting sacks and 
they, they actually look like they're really, really solid players. It's not just the starters, it's the backups. And, you know, there was a few years ago that I was kind of scratching my head. I'm like, how? BYU took like six defensive linemen in in like one year where they were where they were recruiting people and I'm like what is, what is he doing I mean these guys aren't going to be able to impact the program for like three four years well every single one of those guys right now it, there's a few of them that didn't go on missions there's a few of them that did go on missions every single one of those guys Zach Daw you're talking about um, uh, you're talking about uh, oh shoot I'm I'm forgetting their names now but. but there's like three or four of them that were all in the same class that are just making play after play after play on the defensive line. They're a legitimate defense. I would like to see them get tested and see what kind of fortitude they have, what kind of toughness they have when they've been tested a little bit. But I don't think we're going to see that until really until Boise State. I just there's there's no reason for BYU to lose until they get to the Boise State. I think they beat San Diego State, and then there's a bowl game opportunity if they. If they beat Boise State and they beat San Diego State and they're undefeated, I mean, why why not put them in a New Year's Six Bowl? Why not put them in a chance where they can play against a really good team so we can have a good backdrop to, like, how good this team was? Um, because uh, everyone was saying how good BYU would be. The schedule was lined up this year to, to be a good test for them to kind of show what they could be. And unfortunately, they don't get that same schedule but by the end of the year, they should be able to to say, "Hey, yeah, we couldn't control our schedule, but we controlled our destiny. We played in a New Year's Six game, and we thumped whoever they play against. And and we think that this was a legitimate great team. That's what I'd like to see happen for these guys. Because from what I can tell, this is a really good BYU football team. And in some ways, it's a shame that they didn't get to play the schedule that that, that, that was originally planned." So you're supposed to start practice this weekend. You got any insight on their quarterback position? Because Kyle says, as of now, it's a three-person race. I mean, it's really, really hard for me to to to, to not think that it would be Bentley. Um, just would you bring in a graduate transfer? It's it's what it used to be like with a junior college transfer. You're not bringing them in to sit. You're not. You're, I mean, why are you bringing them in? You're bringing them in to enhance your program because you don't feel great about what you've had so far. It gives your other quarterbacks a year to grow. It gives him a chance to 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 start, and and he's a, he's a guy who has over seven thousand yards passing in the SEC to give a chance. I mean, we're looking at graduate transfers all over the country right now that are playing good football. I I would be really surprised if it's not him. I think Kyle's mo. I think the thing that he always does is he. He likes that position to have to compete. He likes them to feel like they earned it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like that MO, but I, I would be very surprised that, it, that if it's not Bentley that's starting at the first of the year. Do you think it's more likely Bentley uh, because the uh, practices have been so messed up? Because it seems like rising would happen. Bentley is a certain level, right? He's got the SEC starts and all that. So he's probably not going backwards, which means rising has to be really good. But rising hasn't had the practices to prove he's really good to be better to win the job. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he he has to he has to show that you know, that he is for for rising to start, 
he has to have opportunities to show that he's way better, right? And I, th- I think they know what they're going to get with Bentley. Um, so when I say this, I say that he's the starter at the first year. That doesn't mean that it lasts the whole year. I mean, if Rising gets opportunities in practice or Bentley's just not knocking it out of the park, I mean, it's never a done deal, especially with Kyle. He's not going to just wait around for a quarterback play to be really good. Um, he he's going to want it to be solid. Here's where I think. Here's where I think maybe the past at the University of Utah is different than now is because of Coach Ludwig. I think I think these quarterbacks will be prepared. I think Bentley will be prepared, and I think he'll know exactly where he's supposed to go with the football. I think you'll see them be a team that can actually throw the ball around. I think the schedule is really, really nice for them. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like Bentley will ride off into the sunset at the University of Utah this year as a as a really, really solid quarterback for the University of Utah. Maybe even get a chance at the NFL just knowing what his background is and where he's played and how he's played. So I'm watching Texas Tech play over the weekend, and they got old Henry there. The guy was at Utah State, and he's playing, and, and we saw the result. And I'm wondering... Why wouldn't he want to have stayed at Utah State and compete? Because it seemed like he had a decent shot, but then you brought up the factor it's the same situation with the grad transfer spiel. It's not quite the same uh, with the grad transfer, but nevertheless, Shelley goes up to Logan. It doesn't seem to me like Shelley's guaranteed to be the starter. I find that whole situation sort of baffling. Um. Quarterbacks transfer. I mean, I, it's hard for me to be critical. I, I transferred, right? Like, it's it's one of those things where if you don't feel like you have a solid chance to be the guy, and you know, with 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 um, with a transfer to Texas Tech, I mean, part of that is that he probably really loved that offense. He probably really loved the coaches that were there, and. Coaches, when they leave, they're not always open to bringing a guy with them. I mean, they have to really like you. Um, if if Columbia is going to play, you know, to get that transfer, it means that, you know, the old staff really believes in him and he's going to have a chance to play down there. So that could be part of it. The other part of it is, you know, all of these quarterbacks that are, that are high-level, um, highly recruited quarterbacks – I mean, in some ways, their first adversity is when they get to college. I mean, these guys, these guys have things paved for them in a lot of ways. I mean, you look back at Jake Heaps. He had four Division One wide receivers in high school. He was dropping back. He had a great arm. He had his own personal quarterback coach. He was throwing the ball over the defense to Division One guys. The first time Jake Heaps experienced adversity was when he got to BYU, and then again at Kansas, and then again at Miami. I mean. He, he hadn't really had any difficulties until all of that happened. And so I think that there's still quarterbacks that are a lot like that. They don't, they don't know how to handle adversity at the college level because it's been paved all the way through. It's been snowplowed for them to be successful all the way through. And, look, they're very, very talented kids. I think sometimes mentally, um, as soon as they hit adversity, it's difficult. So, and look, Shelley's a good quarterback. I had a chance to watch – Utah State practice a little bit the other day, and man, I was. This is the first time I've been able to see Shelley practice. I've seen him play in the games for the University of Utah. Um, that guy's taking this this move seriously, and so when I watch him play, I, 
I was very impressed with his command of the offense up there. I was very impressed with the pace that he plays with, with the enthusiasm for the game that he plays with. I'd be very surprised if Shelley's not the starter at Utah State this year. So I'm curious, and I know we're almost out of time here, but I'm curious, when you are uh, doing your mental uh, strength coaching work with people, right, and all that, do you yeah. deal more with people who um, we got to help athletes overcome poor performances or we got to help athletes who put limits on themselves and who they don't realize how good they can be or keeping people grounded who've had a lot of success? What is most common? So most common is is trying to fix problems. It's not not as much preventative yet. I, I think the thing that I've been impressed with with college athletes, which is different from my age group, which is different than than even just ten years ago, is there are quite a few now that are coming in and they're just like, I just think this is a good idea. I think this is something that could be a tiebreaker for me. I think this is something that could put me ahead of really, really good competition. And they realize that any edge that they can get is going to be the difference for them playing. But a lot of the times, I'm working with very, very physically gifted athletes. I mean, I'm working with Division One college Olympic athletes, and they're competing against other athletes that are just as good as them. And I think sometimes all they want to know is that they can compete when the pressure's on. I think a lot of these people... A lot of these kids, they just want to know. They know that they have it physically. They want to know that they can compete and play well when the pressure's on. And and we talk a lot about pressure being a privilege. I mean, it only comes to those that earn it, right? And so when when these kids are playing Division One football, a lot of times they're just reminding them how great of an athlete they are and how far they've come and how hard they've worked. And that there's no reason for them not to just let their body take over in some of these situations because they've done it a million times. There's no reason to complicate it by letting your head get in the way. And so these these athletes are incredible. I mean, I don't I don't know how to express to parents and to people out there that are watching. When you watch a Weber State practice, when you watch a Utah State practice, when you watch a Snow College practice, these guys are really good athletes. I mean, really good. And, you know, you know, University of Utah has had some success over BYU and over Utah State and some of those things in recent years. That doesn't take away from the fact that Utah State has unbelievable athletes, that BYU has unreal athletes. I mean, these kids are high level. You're talking about top 3% in the world. I tell these kids all the time, you're top 3% in the world at what you do. You might not even be top three percent in the world at anything else that you do in your life. Have a little confidence with it. I mean, you might, might you might not be a top three percent in the world, Dad. <laughs> you know, like you you should really enjoy this experience right now because you put a lot of work into it. Riley, thanks for the time. As always, we appreciate it. Hey, I love being on this show. You guys are the best. Thank you for having me. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines.